Dr. Peter McCullough is an internationally recognised authority on the evaluation of medical evidence in contemporary issues in medicine and is published widely. Concerns have been raised about the Victorian government's paper called Antibody-Dependent Enhancement and SARS-CoV-2 Vaccines and Therapies. Dr. McCullough is profoundly disturbed about government's rush to vaccinate the entire population, including those who are immune and not at high risk. Dr. McCullough has stated that he cannot recommend the COVID-19 vaccines based on all current safety data. Dr. McCullough, thanks very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Look, the Victorian government commissioned a paper published in October 2020 uh, entitled Antibody-Dependent Enhancement and SARS-CoV-2 Vaccines and Therapies. Can you explain in simple terms the main issue raised by this paper? Well, I think the public needs to understand that doctors for a long time now have been concerned about vaccines backfiring. And when I mean backfiring, vaccines should protect individuals from a disease, but it's possible the way the vaccines work that they could cause certain biologic effects in the body to actually make the, the virus or a pathogen to make it actually cause a more serious infection than, than just not having the vaccine at all. So it's a form of backfiring. Is antibody-dependent enhancement or ADE uh, relevant only to mRNA vaccines? And are uh, all the COVID-19 vaccines currently available mRNA vaccines? No, the um, mRNA vaccines are uh, the Pfizer and Moderna ones that are available in the United States. And then there are adenoviral vector vaccines, which are AstraZeneca and Johnson & Johnson vaccines worldwide. There are two different mechanisms. They all uh, ultimately have the body produce the original Wuhan spike protein. I think this is important for the listeners to understand. These vaccines uniquely make the body cause the dangerous part of the virus. And it's now known that the spike protein circulates in the human body for two weeks after injection. It's the spike protein that causes damage to blood vessels, causes blood clotting, damages the brain, the heart, the liver, the kidneys, uh, the placenta. Uh, with a spike protein, we believe, passes through breast milk. And so it's just a unique aspect to the vaccine. The vast majority of vaccines we use are inactive, meaning that nothing circulates that's actually damaging to the body. In the, in the case of COVID-19 vaccines, we are directly causing uh, the body to make a biologically active substance, and that substance circulates uh, and damages the body, the hope is that it would create some immunity to COVID-19. So who's at risk then from COVID-19 vaccines? Well, right off the bat, uh, there's a great concern that patients who have already had COVID-19, so their body's actually already seen the virus, uh, indeed would have a problem in getting the vaccine, that the, in a sense, the body would hyperreact to, again, producing the spike protein. And indeed, that's the case. There are two papers uh, one out of Newcastle, the other one out of Manchester in the United Kingdom, and then one out of New York in the United States. And in those studies, about 25 to 30 percent of patients who volunteer for vaccination are doing it needlessly. They've had COVID-19, so they already have complete immunity. There's no reason for them to get vaccinated. But under the um, ill-advised 
suggestions of government agencies they receive the vaccine. And in fact, they've had two to threefold increased risk of adverse events. Since this paper was produced, what new data or evidence has now become available? It's been shown uh, in studies from Israel and France, and I've seen it in my clinical practice as well. After the first injection of the two injections of either Pfizer or Moderna, that patients have an increased risk of developing COVID-19. In fact, they contract the virus. We prove it by identifying the antigen there. So it's not just a vaccine reaction. It's, in fact, a, a, a real um, infection. And the expert opinions that we have obtained from immunologists and virologists is that this is antibody-dependent enhancement. It's early on. There's an immature library of antibodies directed against the Wuhan spike protein, and, and the listener should understand the Wuhan spike protein is now extinct. In the United States, we have 14 different variants, but the Wuhan China variant is gone now. But the antibodies uh, do rise in a, to a very high level directed against that uh, earlier version of the spike protein. And paradoxically, they help the next variant of COVID-19 that's uh, uh, inhaled or acquired by contact to come into the body and cause clinical infection. So I think everybody receiving the vaccine should understand the first of two vaccines, they're temporarily at increased risk because of antibody-dependent enhancement. What information should be made known as part of uh, informed consent for vaccination? I've looked at the American um, consent forms. are slightly different than Australian, but the American consent forms state that the vaccination program is completely elective, it's optional, that the products are investigational, meaning that they're still under research, and that the side effects can range from just a mild reaction in the arm all the way to death. Now, when the package of the vaccine is opened, there's no package insert. So there's no important safety information provided. There's no clinical data provided to the individual. So if one volunteers for the vaccine program, they have to understand that it's very much like being a part of a research program It's a preliminary and not much is known regarding the vaccine. So in the United States, we have the Centers for Disease Control has the vaccine event reporting system, V-A-E-R-S. And through the CDC website, multiple times, they encourage the public as well as doctors to consult V-A-E-R-S in order to understand what side effects and risks are emerging with the vaccines. Does the person getting the vaccine actually comprehend the risk? It would seem that there is a a narrative very similar to a used car salesman, except instead of the car that could very well break down, it's a vaccine that also could very well break down. It's true that there's so little known about the vaccines. For instance, they were only studied for two months in duration, so we have no idea if patients are protected beyond two months. We do know from the registrational trials that the rate in two months of getting COVID-19, whether patients received the vaccine or they received placebo, was less than 1%. So if we were to kind of project out, we would anticipate that a vaccine program would have less than a 1% public health impact, i.e. patients who seek the vaccine have less than a 1% chance of ever coming in contact with COVID-19. Why are governments now targeting children for COVID-19 vaccination? And can you explain the risk to this group against the benefits? It's important for the listeners to understand that uh, we use vaccination in clinical practice. And so, uh, you know, I'm very favorable towards vaccines. I've always used vaccines in my clinical practice. There are now about 70 of them 
on the market, uh, the ones that are safe and effective we use according to our guidelines. Um, but we vaccinate children in order to protect a child from a disease. So a child would be vaccinated, let's say, uh, uh, against chickenpox. So they don't themselves develop chickenpox or chickenpox pneumonia. We vaccinate college children in the United States against meningococcus to protect them from meningitis while being at college. So vaccine is always to protect the child. With COVID-19, children have a very mild illness. Many of them uh, don't even realize that they've had COVID-19. So we actually have large fractions of children in the United States that are immune. They've already had the natural infection. And so uh, a vaccine that would uh, try to protect a child from basically having a cold wouldn't make any sense, particularly if the vaccine had any risk to it. My concern is that the stakeholders who are uh, advancing mass vaccination, that includes the pharmaceutical companies in, in the United States, it's the National Institutes of Health, the Center for Disease Control, and the um, US FDA in Australia, it may be the TGA, that these vaccine stakeholders have a different idea and that their idea is that they're gonna vaccinate children in order to protect adults. And so that really violates a principle of medical ethics. We would never ask a child to take on the risk of an investigational product in order to protect another individual. And we've seen some gross examples of this in the United States. For instance, there are some universities that are going to mandate that the students get the COVID-19 vaccine, but the faculty do not have to get it. Uh, of interest, the vaccine stakeholders in the United States, the government agencies, CDC, FDA, and NIH, are not going to require their employees to get the COVID-19 vaccine. So how could a private employer in the United States ever, quote, coerce or force their employees to take an investigational vaccine? In Queensland, our premier, which is similar to a governor, uh, and our chief medical officer, um, promoting uh, AstraZeneca here and take the uh, vaccine and you know, all that sort of stuff. Anyway, came out the other day that they haven't yet had the vaccine. So <laughs> it's a bit worrying, isn't it? When you've got the, the government saying you must take the vaccine and yet the government who's saying take the vaccine won't take it themselves. Look, in some countries, children after a certain age can be vaccinated without parental consent. Is this unusual? And is there any justification for this? It's highly unusual. In North Carolina, they just laid the groundwork for children age 12 and above to be able to consent and take the vaccine on their own without parental consent. They plan to move vaccination centers into the school and apply uh, pressure and coercion to the students. That is telling them they can't participate in sports or activities. Uh, they can't have a normal life as a student unless they consent to having the vaccine. The vaccine has the risks, including death, and I can't imagine that a child age 13 is going to be confronted with a, a consent form for an investigational new product, in a sense, consent for uh, research, and then face the possibility of death and have it do it on their own without the parents uh, weighing in on this. Uh, I'm highly concerned as a parent. I'm highly concerned as an American and as a citizen of the world right now that something very wrong is going on. Uh, parents ought to be absolutely screaming at the top of their lungs about this, uh, that, that, that uh, we never do this. We never, ever do this. We uh, strictly excluded pregnant women from receiving the vaccine. We never inject pregnant women with a dangerous biologic substance. And yet when the vaccine was rolled out, 
the, the government agency said, pregnant women, come on in, we'll vaccinate you. In fact, pregnant women have, and they've really paid the price with abortions and, and miscarriages. Well, you have some great uh, inspiration uh, handing out information, uh, such as um, a president really doesn't know where he is, and you've got Fauci who... Um doesn't know who he works for. Uh, you extended a, an invitation back in, I think, March to uh, Australian authorities and the uh, Therapeutic Goods Administration to help them. Now, what was their response? I'm, I'm sure it was a fairly deafening no. The TGA has produced guidance on the treatment of COVID-19 uh, and it's simply a series of negative statements of telling what not to do. And in the end, the net conclusion be not to treat Australians for COVID-19, just let them suffer at home to the point where they can't breathe and then become hospitalized. And, and in fact, many will die at that stage. It's unthinkable what government agencies are doing right now. The, the term to be applied is what's called malfeasance. Malfeasance is wrongdoing by those in authority. In my view, the government agencies, these are staffers. These are uh, people who don't see and examine patients. They don't have a fiduciary relationship. Uh, they don't have malpractice uh, uh, concerns to ever uh, deal with. That they really need to get out of medicine right now. Let doctors use uh, uh, the published literature. I've provided guidance in two sets of papers now that's widely used across the world. We combine drugs that have signals of benefit, acceptable safety into regimens. And we've demonstrated that we can reduce hospitalization and death by 85% with early treatment of COVID-19. The government agencies have no role in opining on early treatment of COVID-19. I think they really need to to back out and and worry about other issues uh, and, and, and honestly turn their attention towards cleaning up safety in the vaccination program. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. They uh, sort of dig their heels in, almost digging your heels in on steroids, and uh, they become even more obstinate. And uh, as you, I think, uh, a while back said in a uh, recent interview with us, uh, that they will be held accountable for crimes against humanity. Uh, A county such as, sorry, a country, sorry, such as Australia, uh, UK, US, likely to change their vaccination strategies as more data becomes available on the effects of vaccines? I think so. I I drive past our vaccine center every day, and I can tell you it's empty. And the word is out in the United States. We have about half of Americans have received at least one dose of the vaccine. And virtually every American knows of somebody who either died or was hospitalized after the vaccine. And the word is out now. You can't really motivate Americans. And the desperation among the vaccine stakeholders is extraordinary. I talked about moving vaccine centers into schools. Keep in mind that the vaccine centers that exist right now are empty. So to move them into the schools is almost a, an invasion. Uh, they're planning to move vaccination centers into churches just a few miles away from where they exist right now. Uh, there, there's been offerings. For instance, there's been lotteries Uh, up to a million dollars. If someone will take a vaccine, they can be in a lottery for a million dollars. If a college student will uh, take a vaccine, they're offering lotteries for them to win a full college scholarship as an example. And this this is such an exaggeration of of what's going on right now. Think about this. The idea is, you know, you want to take a chance with your life, we'll offer you a million dollars if you'll go for it. Uh, This is supreme coercion. And, and the principle number one of the Nuremberg Code that came out of World War II is that individuals uh, decide what gets injected into their bodies free of pressure, 
coercion and fear of reprisal. Well, let me tell you, a lottery for a million dollars is a form of coercion. Uh, We had a hospital in Texas that was offering $500 to low-income workers to take the vaccine, and they wouldn't take it. And then the administrator said, well, now we're going to force the vaccine on you. They said, we still don't want to take it. We don't think it's safe. And then they, then, the, then the next day, the administrator said, we're going to start firing you. So, in fact, workers started getting fired from the hospital, and now they're organizing into a giant lawsuit. I can tell you those are forms of coercion. They, they are outlawed by investigational review boards. If this was a research study that was applied to an IRB, uh, it would not be approved if there was a $500 coercion. I can't imagine a raffle for a million dollars. I think historians are going to look back on this and they're going to look at these examples and say how distorted things had become. A vaccine that doesn't stop the virus 100%. United States, we've already had 10,000 vaccine failures, people getting sick and going into the hospital. So the vaccine clearly doesn't work for everyone. And at the same time, we've had over 4,000 deaths, over 12,000 hospitalizations. In Europe, there's already been over 10,000 deaths. And now we're offering the lottery to say, listen, if you take the chance, we'll pay you a million dollars. Yeah, you mentioned uh, the million dollars or the $500. You you left out the uh, most appealing, uh, say, for example, for me, was de Blasio when he said, we'll give you a a bowl of chips or fries to um, to get the vaccine. I mean, I mean, only a bowl of fries to risk your life? I mean, that's a pretty poor incentive, isn't it? It's amazing that any incentive has to be offered at all. You know, the stakeholders have used the phrase, a needle in every arm. Well, I can tell you, a needle in every arm is not going to happen. In America now, um, you can't convince somebody who's already lost a loved one due to the vaccine. I don't care what. And I can tell you in clinical practice, about 70% of my patients have received the vaccine. I'm an internal medicine and cardiology doctor. I see patients every day. Um, And initially, based on the original studies, I was encouraging the vaccine. So most of them got the vaccine in December, January, and February. Um, But based on the totality of data at this point in time, I can no longer uh, recommend the vaccine. So we're at about 70% in adult medicine, which is probably appropriate. Thankfully, I've never lost a patient due to the vaccine, but I've had family members of my patients who clearly uh, have, um, have died as a direct result of the vaccine, and they're angry, they're regretful, and they want answers. Some very interesting days ahead, though with uh, responsibilities and accountability uh, because as the truth comes out and people realize that this is uh, they've had the wool pulled over their eyes and uh, the health uh, put in in great jeopardy i'm sure there are more interesting turns and uh, curveballs in the future dr peter mccullough thank you very much thank you mike and that's it for asia pacific today thanks so much for joining us i'm mike ryan 